Hey, this is Ashley Larson. And this is Kendra Larson, and welcome to Art Gab. So how was your weekend? Good. So did you do anything <laughs> fun? I had a great weekend. I went to the Weezer concert at Moda Center. Weezer and the Pixies. Oh, it's awesome. Fun. Yeah. I think I've seen Weezer twice, and they never disappoint. They're always pretty great. Yeah, I was really surprised. They were really theatrical, and they had a lot of different cool things they were doing with the crowd. And Yeah, I had people, like, posting a lot about it. And, like, at one point, he was in a boat, like, floating <laughs> yeah. around the audience. That's, that looked really awesome. Yeah, they started out with this a cappella group kind of version of one of their songs it was kind of sweet. Nice. And uh, the pyrotechnics at the end were pretty rad. Sweet. Didn't they do a cover of like, Aha, Take On Me or something? Yeah, they did three different covers. Yeah, they did that one. Oh, they did some really, it was really cool. And the Pixies were amazing. Oh, yeah. oh, I love the Pixies so much. It's like throwback to the 90s. Yeah. Hour. Yeah. And I still have all those songs stuck in my head. Nice. And that was like three days ago. That's a good concert. It was pretty fun. It was pretty fun. Nice. And what about you? How was your weekend? My weekend was good. I work on Saturdays, of course, but then I went to um, a roller derby bout. Um, It was my coach and one of my teammates' last game, so it was kind of fun to go to. I'm still not playing for a little while, but I should be getting back into it. Um, And then randomly, like, I... I just started, I got out my X-Acto knife and just started like cutting paper. Like if you go on uh, Instagram, there's artists that do really fine detailed cutting of paper. Uh-huh. And so I did it and it was pretty, um, my dog is going crazy. Prancer. Um, that reminds me, there's a local artist named Nikki McClure that does that kind of stuff. And nice. um, yeah, I did a project with one of my classes. It was like cut, cut paper, it's really hard. You have to like plan things differently than other artwork, right? Well, okay, so I had an exacto knife and I have, my dog wants to sit on your lap. Okay, here, that's right. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, she's, oh, she's licking the mic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's not me snorting. <laughs> um, Prancer. It's okay, she's okay. She always makes it about her. Um, so, anyway, I have a lot of cardstock paper and I have an exacto knife. <laughs> And so I was just cutting, not really planning, just cutting stuff. But I think the artists on Instagram use more like computer paper, like soft, like lightweight paper. Mm -hmm. So I'll probably try that next time. But it's pretty, it's pretty fun. I liked it. I did like a skateboard. I did a heart. And I did like, I don't know. It's pretty cool. Cool. So, yeah. Anyway. That's what I did. It's kind of fun to go on Instagram and get like some ideas, <laughs> some launching off points. Yeah, I could totally hear Prancer's licking the mic. Licking on the mic. Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> uh, okay, let me grab her. Okay, so while you're taking Prancer, here, Prancer, she's okay, but um, I'll just do the announcements. So on this day, April 8th, um, did you guys know? Do you know Oliver? Or, <laughs> to take that out. Did you know Prancer? Um, then in 1990, Twin Peaks uh, premiered. So so David Lynch is uh, Twin 
awesome show, Twin Peaks, uh, aired on this day in 1990. Um, and on this day in 1944, painter Odd Nerdrum was born. And, uh, and in 1973, on April 8th, uh, Paolo Picasso died. Um, so, there you go. That's what happened on this day, April 8th. Um, and I then love Twin Peaks. Huh? I love Twin Peaks. I love Twin Peaks, too. It's great. Pretty great. Yeah. Uh, and it kind of all three of those things kind of go together in a way, right? Because mm-hmm. yeah. Twin Peaks and Odd Nerdrum and some of Picasso's work, all a little eerie, right? Mm-hmm. Got some some uncanny qualities. Um, and then the only other announcement I was going to tell you was the, about the um, panel discussion that I'm doing on April 13th. Um, it's a discussion on beauty um, at Gallery 114 at 6 p.m. It should be really cool. You should come. Nice. Yeah. yeah. It's um, I'm kind of nervous because <laughs> it's a really broad topic, mm-hmm. but um, which could be good sometimes. Yeah, and the other artists that are involved in the talk are are really great artists. So um, Tamara English, who you've met, mm-hmm. painter, and then um, Mark Andres. He is um, a great painter. He does those um, well kind of film still kind of paintings are really like moody um yeah so you should come nice yeah yeah so uh do you want to talk about some artists now yeah let's do it okay so you're gonna go first okay ashley first um my dog is just wanting all the attention right now so you might have to just hang out with prancer oh she's coming over here okay all right so it's 1980. A young man dressed in a tank, converse, and jeans hops on the New York subway. He gets off at his first stop and sees a blank, a blank advertisement space and takes out a chalk in his pocket and proceeds to draw figures with thick, clean lines and strokes. The picture, the picture he produces is done fast and with ease within a couple minutes. He steps back to look at his complete chalk drawing. It, and it, it's of two dancing figures. Is this painting a picture in your head? <laughs> at this point, he turns and notices a crowd has a gathered. As he's about to get in the train and head to the next blank advertising canvas, a young fan approaches him for his autograph, and he graciously grabs the young child's um, notepad and draws a quick drawing of a barking dog, one of his signature doodles, and signs it, Keith Herring. And that is who I'm talking about today. One of my favorites. Um, He was born May 4th, 1958 in Reading, Pennsylvania, and was raised in a small town called Kutztown, Pennsylvania. His parents were Joan and Alan Herring, He was the oldest and only son. He has three younger sisters named Kay, Karen, and Kristen. And I like to laugh at this because it's like his family liked Kay names. They were the first, you know, before the Kardashians, they they did it, you know. Um, He admired and liked the work of Disney and Dr. Seuss. Um, You kind of see that in his work a little bit, that he had a lot of love for that type of artwork. Um, he became int- uh, interested in drawing at a young age, probably around four, 
um, drawing cartoons with his dad, which is really sweet. Um, and his dad always encouraged him to come up with his own characters um, and kind of explore that in his creativity. Um, with his dad, he also had a paper route from the age of about 12 to 16. Um, and he recalled always loving the Sunday paper because it was loaded with Sunday comics that he would study and just love to look at. So he had a very supportive family, and his parents encouraged him to study commercial arts as a way to make it as a living as an artist because, you know, back in, you know, still today, parents are like, oh, you're going to study art. Okay, well, you should do commercial art because then you could, you know, get... Um, work in that. Um, so around like 18, he was antsy to get out of the small town he grew up in. So he headed to Pittsburgh and he went to an Ivy school of professional art for two semesters. And then he decided it just wasn't for him. Um, so then he decided to uh, move to New York in 1978 to study painting at the School of Visual Arts. So in his early years in New York, he started to organize exhibits at places like Club 57. There he was part of a, like a young, wild, uh, creative group. And every night, this young group would uh, do something new and with the themes of poetry, comedy, and art. And like if you go on a... When, when was this again? So when he first got to New York, uh, I think probably around the late 70s or oh, okay. 80s, cool. um, he was kind of part of this like creative young group, mm -hmm. um, and they would, at Club 57, they would put on shows like all the time in comedy, art, poetry. Have you read Patti Smith's Just Kids? Mm -mm. Um, I think it's kind of... I I can't remember, but I think it's about that time mm -hmm. uh, in New York. So it's like Patti Smith and Robert Maplethorpe. Yeah. And I bet I had a feeling they all kind of knew each other. Yeah, so that's kind of a fun thing. Um, and, of course, like Warhol's factory, right? Yeah, so that's um, – so, okay, I, I, imagine that time he was just wildly creative with this young group. He got to know a lot of people. He got to know Andy Warhol, who he really looked up to. Um, and he was always working on something. Um, and a former roommate of uh, Keith was just like, he was, uh, he would literally like paint himself into a corner. Like he would <laughs> just be painting these big installations. Um, and there's like one recall recount of his roommate saying he was like blasting B-52 all the time and like painting. Um, <laughs> you like the B-52s? Yeah. That's funny. And I heard like Devo was playing. Like he was really into music. He was into the street art. He was into graffiti. That was kind of his niche. Um, so that's kind of like in New, York, in New York is where he found his niche. He was fascinated and intrigued by graffiti and would often ride the subway just looking at graffiti. So you can imagine New York in that time, there was so many great graffiti artists. Um, so he would just be so involved with that, get to know a lot of the artists. Um, he would draw numerous drawings at the very first, very fast pace, 
um, on empty ad spaces. So, like, if you haven't been to New York in the subway system, they have posters, and then they have, like, an empty black ad space where an ad will eventually go, and that's where he would do a lot of his things. Um, they were easy to spot. Like, you could tell, like, it was his signature, um, kind of like a fingerprint. You know, you could, it was unique to him, so you could kind of point out what was his. Um, so a very unique style. His style mainly considered of cartoon characters with clean lines, simple images, and some of the iconic and often used characters were a barking dog, a radiant crawling baby. Those were his signature ones. Um, <laughs> I like that radiant. Yeah, <laughs> radiant baby. I love it. Um, and he, I, in like interviews, he said, you know, a dog, like animals and humans, like that's the basics of life. So like that's what his main thing was. Um, he would often attract crowds and gain admirers, and at times would be arrested for producing graffiti. Um, his style was fast. And he mentioned that he wasn't trying to do a perfect piece of work, but rather produce it fast and a lot of it to reach people. Some of his early work was rather completely phallic, which is pretty great. Um, (laughs) (laughs) She's a big fan of that. Yeah, well, this is exactly what he said. He's like, he consciously did that as a way to assert his sexuality and forcing people to deal with it, which is great because he could. So that's why he did it. Um, He started to gain popularity in the early 80s and became friends with Andy Warhol, Jean-Claude Basquiat, and um, Basquiat, I always pronounce his name wrong, and Madonna, just to name a few of the really heavy hitters. Um, He looked up to Andy, often portrayed Andy in his work as Andy Mouse, so you could find like Andy Mouse in some of his work, and you could totally tell that it's Andy Warhol, which is really cute. Um, he painted an outfit for Madonna that she would wear in one of her, one of her performances. Um, and then I love this. He painted Grace Jones for two of her performances at the Paradise Garage, which was like a club. And he just totally painted her body and painted the background. It was just like a total installation art piece with music. Um, there's also a video of Grace Jones, uh, Grace Jones, uh, Andy Warhol, and Keith Haring both did artwork in that video. It's pretty great. Um, it's a in the '80s kind of music video. So, in a short amount of time, from 1982 to 1989, he created more than 15 public public works in dozens of cities around the world. He made not only a lot of pieces, but also very large scale pieces. And one piece that stands out to me is a sign of the times and also like his style was when he painted the Berlin Wall. He painted it uh, with linked figures in the color of German, the German flag symbolizing unity between the East and West Germany. And I think it was like 300 meters long is what I read. And um, so around that time too, he also opened the pop shop uh, and Around that time, his work also took on a socio-political theme. One such piece addressing the crack cocaine epidemic entitled Crack is Whack, um, a two-sided mural on a handball court in Harlem River Park along the Franklin D. Roosevelt Drive in New York City. 
The thing that's interesting about this piece is that it's under protection and jurisdiction of the New York City Department of Parks and and it was restored in 2007. It is one of the only, if not the only, truly public works of herring still visible in New York. Oh, okay. Which is really interesting. So I'm like, next time I go to New York, I want to go find that. Um, So on the rear wall of the convent in the uh, Church of San Antonio in Pisa, he painted the last public work of his life, the mural Tuta Mondo, which translates to all worlds. That was like his last piece. Um, So kind of going back to the pop shop, it was opened in Soho in April 1986. Uh, Keith thought of it as a way to bring art to the people and reach people on a smaller scale, kind of like what his early works drawings in the subway would do. He liked the immediate interaction with people and that art could be affordable and easily accessed. Herring said, I could earn more money if I just painted a few things and jacked up the price. My shop is an extension of what I was doing in the subway stations, breaking down the barriers of high and low art. The pop shop had a good run, and it closed on September 2005, so it was open for quite a while after his death, um, and he worked he worked right up until his death, um, and he died of AIDS-related complications on February 16th, 1990. Um, he also, you know, he died young, but he did so much, and he was working all the time. And he made sure that he started the Keith Herring Foundation, which is, like, really great. And it was established to provide funding and um, to AIDS organizations and children programs. He did a lot of, like, murals for kids' schools and, like, just really, like, hospitals and all that. Um, and to expand the audience of his works through ex- exhibitions, Um, publications and the licensing of his images. The foundation goal is to keep Keith's wishes and expand his heritage, crafts, art, and goals by providing grants and funding to nonprofit organizations that target educating disadvantaged youth and informing individuals about HIV and AIDS. It also supports arts and educational institutions by funding exhibits, um, educational programs and publications. So that's kind of Keith Haring. Um, and then lastly, I just wanted to give like a couple fun facts about him. Um, in 2017, his sister Kay wrote a children's book called Keith Haring, The Boy Who Just Kept Drawing. And it was ranked among the top 10 sellers every week for a year on Amazon in the category of children art history, which is really sweet. I love that. Um, so, an interesting fact, he was the artist of the people, which I kind of brought up, and he just really liked producing art, not necessarily perfecting it, but just producing a lot of it, and the pop shop was a way for people to own his art. Even today, if you go online, you could still buy his stuff on the pop shop online, which is really fun. Um, so, yeah, he wanted everyone to be able to afford art. He thought, like, art was great in the museums, but he also wanted, like, the average person to be able to get it. Um, He's a Guinness Book World Record holder, or to be a little more specific, the biggest jigsaw puzzle in the world features his paintings. So that's kind of a fun little fact. 
think this is pretty fun. Um, so he took Andy Warhol to Madonna's wedding as his plus one. <laughs> so like Andy Warhol wasn't invited, but he took him as his plus one. Um, he collaborated with a lot of celebrity friends. So like in a lot of interviews, he's just so personable. He met a lot of people, um, good friends with Madonna, Grace Jones, Andy Warhol. Just he kind of was in the whole New York scene at the time the 1980s New York scene. Um, oh, so if you want to look it up, the Grace Jones music video is I'm Not Perfect is what it's called, and it's got Andy Warhol and um, Keith Haring in it. Uh, he always had a spot in uh, Paris, in his heart for Paris. He always loved it. Um, and it's funny, in one of the documentaries, Yoko Ono was like, I'm very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, psychic. Like after he, or after Keith died, he told me to like spread some of his ashes in Paris. And like, so she did that. <laughs> oh, Yoko. <laughs> yeah. It's very, it's very Yoko. You know? Um, and yeah, so that's kind of that. I mean, I love the 80s I love the uh, street art era and that is really Keith Haring's work that just sums up that era in New York you know to a T mm -hmm. street art um, going to a lot of the clubs meeting a lot of famous people just he's like an artist for the people yeah. and that's Keith Haring oh awesome I love his work I want to see that mural too that sounds really cool so a lot of his murals are starting to be restored, mm -hmm. and I'm just, I'm really, I was surprised that there's not more in New York, because that was right. his place, but the one crack is whack is still up, and uh -huh. I kind of, I would love to see it, but. He has such a graphic style, graphic flat kind of style, that it seems like it would be, it wouldn't be too hard to restore them, right, to their original. Yeah, yeah, and they're starting to on some of them, and yeah. Another thing, you know, that made him an artist of the people, he would he would a lot of times pass out pins that he made, like, mm -hmm. so that was cute, like, with his little artwork on it, so he just really, you know, wanted to reach the people. Cool. So. Awesome. Yeah. Um, that's actually a great segue, because I, too, chose someone that is... Um, Sorry about my art, dog, too, by the art way. For, <laughs> art for the people. Oh, she's okay. She's... She's a sweetheart. She's settling into her. <laughs> um, so uh, this is Kendra. Um, I guess, uh, okay, so when you admire an artist, um, it's a lot of pressure to write and share their work with the world, um, especially uh, someone as complex as the artist I'm about to talk about. Um, I'm sure I'll miss something, uh, but I'll try my best. Um, and after the, if after, you know, if after this you are enchanted by her, um, then you should do some additional research. Look exactly. her up. Yeah. I think with both of our artists, like, there's so much to be said about them. There's so many books and documentaries and videos. Like, we only cover such a small amount, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so there's a few ways I could go about this, but... Um, uh, I guess I, I wanted. I guess I want to start by saying that. Um, so 
Alice Neal was on Johnny Carson in the early 80s. And um, I saw this yesterday. Um, she was like witty and, and uh, she was sharp and, um, you know, she was in her 80s. So you, you look at her and you think, oh, she's kind of a fragile looking lady. And, and then you hear her talk and she's, yeah, she, she's, like she's a spitfire. Yeah. And you can tell that she has a story to tell. Um, and, and so I just, I guess I wanted to start with that because I think uh, if anybody saw that, saw her on Carson, they probably, it, it could have been easy just to kind of write her off. But if they had looked at her artwork at all, like it's, it's, it's engaging and different and you know that she has a interesting story. Um, so I first saw Alice Neal's work in undergrad. Um, I used to be a security guard at the art school <laughs> and to stay awake, I would rent, um, art documentaries. Um, it's like the only way to stay awake when you're like in a boring building at 3am. Um, and one of those documentaries was Alice Neal, a, a film by Andrew Neal. Um, in that uh, documentary, it was by, it was by her grandson. Um, in that documentary, I found it striking uh, to hear her son Richard say that um, when Neil painted someone, she would have this endless flow of conversation with the subject. She would get their life story. Um, I really like that. So from what I have read, she was a spicy character, not afraid to say what was on her mind. Um, I can imagine in her studio um, talking with her, uh, with her subjects, asking questions, some probably uncomfortable questions, um, kind of like a spider spinning her web, collecting stories. Um, and that's kind of what she's known as, is the, uh, they call her the collector of souls. I love that. Nice. Um, so born in Marion Square, Pennsylvania, on January 28th, uh, 1900, Alice Neal was the fourth of five children. She was raised into a straight-laced, middle-class family during the time when there were limited expectations and opportunities for women. Her mother had said to her, I don't know what you expect to do in the world. You're only a girl. Um, uh, which is interesting because at 18, she got a clerical job to support her parents. <laughs> Just a girl, you know. Just a girl, Just a girl. support the whole thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, she also took art classes at night, um, and in 1921, she decided to step up her art studies and enroll in the fine art program at the Philadelphia School of Design for Women, uh, which is now the College of Art and Design. No, I'm sorry, the Moore College of Art and Design. Um, she was a bit of a rebel. Um, she kind of uh, turned away from the trendy impressionist style and went uh, kind of focused more on what was called the Ashcan School of Realism. Uh, often depicting the poor or underrepresented. Uh, the, the movement, which took uh, some inspiration from Whitman's uh, poem, Leaves of Grass, Leaves of Grass um, has been seen as emblematic of the spirit of political rebellion of this period. Um, so you think, you know, kind of dark, lots of browns, lots of grays, grungier. Mm -hmm. she, was a, she was an early grunger, yeah. Um, she graduated in 1925 with high honors. Um, she often said that she chose to attend an all-girls school so, that, so as not to be distracted um, from her art by the temptations of the opposite sex. So there you go. That gives you a little 
hint into her character. Um, in 1924, she met painter Carlos en Enriquez, and they were married on June 1st, 1925. Um, she moved to Havana, where he was from, and enjoyed a plush life in a mansion with seven servants. Um, she fit right in with a Cuban avant-garde, and it's said that this is where she developed the foundations for her lifelong political consciousness and commitment to equality. In 1926, her daughter, um, Satellana, was born, um, but would die a year later of diphtheria. This terrible loss infused Alice, Alice's work with themes of motherhood, loss, and anxiety. She funneled her pain into her paintings. They were dark portraits of people. Um, one of those paintings was the Well Child's Clinic. Have you seen this, Ashley? It's like oh, a wow. kind of a grays and browns and a little bit of red. Mm -hmm. Mothers kind of in a hospital, all yeah. dealing, holding their babies. And um, it's kind of scary. <laughs> it doesn't really look like a place you'd want to be, but... Um, so she's, she's going through some stuff. She has this, that's hard, right? Um, a few years later, in 1928, her daughter Isabetta was born in, in New York. Um, but two years later, Carlos would take her on what was supposed to be a short visit to Paris. Instead, he took her to Havana without telling Alice. This heartbreak caused Neil's subject matter to change. She went from painting portraits of ordinary people, family, friends, strangers, and well-known art critics to female nudes. Historically, nudes depicted vulnerable women for the male gaze. Um, they were anonymous, idealized, passive. Um, Neil's nudes, on the other hand, subverted that. Um, the figures were not idealized. Instead, realism and truth took center stage. In a way, these paintings made fun of the historical norms. By doing this, Neil gave her sitters an identity. They were no longer passive, nor vulnerable. Um, uh, one of these paintings uh, that she did was of her friend Ethel. Um, this is neither sexual nor flattering to the hum uh, female form. Um, Neil's aim was not to paint the female body in an idealistic way. She wanted to paint it in a truthful and honest manner. For this reason, she thought of herself as a realist painter. And sidebar, Ethel like was furious. <laughs> <laughs> Fred was furious. She's like, not happy with it. Oh, that's the painting. Oh, so she was like, you were supposed to paint me like more glamorous or something? I don't know. Ethel was an artist too. I don't know much about her, but huh. you'd think she would understand. But um, so in the painting, Ethel's kind of this large figure taking over a large portion of the canvas. Um, she's seated, kind of crouched over. Um, it's described as her being um, kind of ashamed or, or like uh, scared looking, fearful looking. Mm -hmm. um, she just looks like a natural body to me, but mm -hmm. um, it's hard to, it's hard to understand. It's hard to see the world the way it was before Alice Neal, right? We see this painting now and we're like, oh, it's a great painting. It reminds me of contemporary artists like Jenny Seville or um, Marlene Dumas, right? Artists that work with real bodies. But mm -hmm. I think before Alice Neal, like, it was only for the male gaze. It was only kind of passive, posed, posed yeah, yeah, fancy mm -hmm. women. Um, anyway, 
that's that's the first reason I love Alice Neal. <laughs> um, so uh, okay, so back to this is about nineteen thirty, I think. Um, so she's painting all these women. Um, she just lost her husband, lost her child. It was, she's like, I'm gonna paint and paint all these women. Um, kind of working through ideas of motherhood, I guess, right? Um, but that autumn, she suffered suffered a nervous, a massive nervous breakdown, attempted suicide, I was and say, like, and ended up in the hospital. So she using all that art time as a way of like trying to cope. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, she was released uh, from the hospital about a year later, and then moved to New York. Um, so in the 1930s, she was hired by the Work Progress Administration. Do you have you heard of that? The Work Progress. Okay, so um, it was part of the New Deal, is uh, called the WPA, Work Progress Administration. It provided jobs and income for the unemployed during the Great Depression, while developing infrastructure to support the current and future society. Uh, many writers, musicians like Woody Guthrie, um, he did he did a whole album about the Columbia River Gorge, or that, like, songs about that. Anyway, um, other artists like Diego Rivera and Dorothea Lange um, created works that documented and enhanced the communities. Um, so there's a cool website called the WPAMurals.com, so you could go and find all these murals from that era. Basically, the government's paying artists, like, to make art. It's really cool. Um, so Alice Neal was one of the first hired by the WPA. Um, she got $30, $30 a week, which is about $575 today. Um, and she was to produce a painting every six weeks. So pretty cool, right? It's pretty yeah. great. Um, she, uh, she, was still, she was basically living in poverty still. <laughs> um, she was alone, uh, living in downtown uh, New York, but she was happy and getting notoriety. Um, she painted the Depression-era street scenes, local characters, um, and communist thinkers, um, such as Ella Mother Bloor and Joe Gould. So Joe Gould, um, I guess, was a character that she painted. He, he had a giant inflated ego, so he, she painted him with multiple penises. So she's kind of known for that painting. Yeah. You've probably seen it. Because like you like Valagar <laughs> so much. <laughs> I just like that she's like, oh, he's got a big ego? Well, no, I'm here a bunch you of go. On that. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, now the dogs are calm. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Um, so, anyway, so Joe Gould, multiple penises. Communist thinkers like Ella, Ella Bloor. Uh, oh, yeah. Okay, here we go. Um, she was never part of the com Communist Party, but agreed with their ideals and new party leaders. So in 1934... Oh, okay. So at this time, it's just a wild, exciting time for her. She's making lots of paintings. She has all these great, what, like, interesting friends that are active, right? Um, in 1934, um, one of her lovers... I love her. One of her lovers. Um, <laughs> Kenneth Doolittle. Uh, Doolittle. Ugh, he did a lot. He's, he set fire to 350 of her paintings. What? I know, what right? Some of them are documented before he caught them on fire, and they're really cool. He did one of Elisabetta, her oh. daughter. And, ugh, 
Yeah, so he uh, he destroyed 350. Why? Just because he wanted to? Because he uh, was an addict, uh, and I don't know why. Huh. I don't know. There's no, I yeah. can't really, yeah. Why does anyone set fire to things? I don't, I don't know. <clears throat> I don't know, yeah. Oh. It's, it's pretty pretty rude, if it's you ask rude. me. It's totally just, rude. <laughs> um, so she continued to paint, and her work got... Uh, was her work glorified subversion and sexuality. Um, so one of those paintings that glorified subversion and sexuality uh, was Alice Neal and John Rothschild in the bathroom, which showed um, the naked pair peeing. So here's a picture of it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know, <laughs> right? So it's light blues and like light browns, and there's a man peeing in the sink and a woman on the toilet. <laughs> It's really romantic. Just, you know, an <laughs> you know. everyday thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, he was married. <laughs> She's a home, homewrecker. Okay, I'll get into that in a minute. Um, so in the 1930s, Alice uh, moved to the Spanish Harlem and began painting her neighbors, specifically women and children. Um, Neil had many lovers and was a bit of a homewrecker. Um, John Rothschild and Jose Santiago um, were examples. So in 1939, she had her son Richard with Santiago, and in 1941, had a son with her son Hartley with another lover named Sam Brody. Um, now, okay, so I read that Sam Brody was very abusive to Richard. This is really sad, but um, all of this was described in the documentary. Um, basically he, he just did a lot of bad things to this kid. He just kind of didn't, um, respect him because he wasn't his, you know? So, so really sad. Um, and apparently Neil knew of the abuse and neglected to protect her son, which was really hard to read. You know, you admire someone and, um, but we, she's not here, right? So we don't know her side of the story. Um, Art critic and one of Neil's subjects, um, John Peralt, said, I think that because Neil was doing what she wanted to do, which was to paint all sorts of riffraff, saints, sinners, and even eventually critics and museum directors, she was a bit she was a better mother and person than if she had lived a horrid life of creative frustration. So I could see that, right? We're asked to do a lot as women, right? I mean just as people, right? Yeah, like her art was her outlet to like, yeah, to feel and to like get frustration out to be who she wanted to be. And her profession, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but Considering but those little kids didn't have any other mother, right? Like yeah. they're her one, one and only. So it's hard. It's a hard balance. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I've been thinking a lot about that lately. Um, and how would it be different if she was a man, right? I mean, I'm sure Picasso wasn't the best father, really. <laughs> um, yeah, who's to say, you know, the era, the time, like, yeah. what really went on, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, a few other things about Alice. Um, 1959, she appeared in a movie alongside Allen Ginsberg. Uh, the movie is called Pull My Daisy. Uh, I have not seen it yet. <laughs> um, in the 1960s, okay, so in the 1960s, um, 
she painted pregnant women. Um, she said uh, they are a basic, it's a basic fact of life, not a sexual object. Instead, a pregnant woman has, has claim staked out. She is not for sale. She's not chast Madonna or dangerous whore. I thought that was kind of interesting, right? And it's surprising to think that the pregnant woman wasn't really painted before that, right? It's kind of a weird taboo, but, um, but they're beautiful paintings. Here's one of them. So um, I think this is pregnant Maria. She's laying on, mm-hmm. on a bed. Yeah, you didn't really see a lot of that before no. her. Right. But it's such a big part of life. Right. <laughs> it's like yeah. a major part of life to be born. I don't know. Yeah, uh, it's kind of, you know, kind everything. of important. Yeah, kind of. Oh, it's a big thing. I had a big thing. Okay. Um, <laughs> um, so she, uh, so she got kind of famous from that um, controversy about painting nude pregnant women. Um, she painted Andy Warhol in 1970, right after he was shot. Um, so he has kind of bandages on. Mm-hmm. Um, he was kind of known to be kind of a private guy, but she was able to get him to take his shirt off for it. So that was kind of impressive, huh. very persuasive It's kind of crazy because there's like a lot of parallels between uh, art artists. Yeah. Because like there's even paintings of like Keith Haring doing pregnant, like painting pregnant ladies and like... Well, they were, yeah, in New York at the same time. They like just missed each other or they were together at the same time in New York for just a real brief time. I wonder, yeah, she painted so many people. Yeah. Um, and she had that connection with Annie Warhol that Keith had with Annie Warhol. Like, Yeah, I'm looking up right now to see if she painted him because I wouldn't be surprised if she did, right? Like, yeah, she painted so many people. And it, it kind of sounds like she knew a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And same with, like, Keith. They kind of, like, all went in the same art circles. and Yeah. What a time. Here's some, here's some more of her paintings. Yeah, she's pretty incredible. Um, so she she was basically poor her whole life, painted nonstop, painted all sorts of people. That Johnny Cash, yeah, that Johnny Cash, um, uh, I'm sorry, <sighs> edit that out. <laughs> Not Johnny, yeah. <laughs> Johnny Carson show. One of she, those guys. She said that she liked painting... Um, uh, people that were beat down by New York, right? So people that um, had wounds of living in a city like that. Um, but she painted all sorts of people. She painted, I think, the governor of New York. I think she she painted all all sorts of people. Would you say she's like strictly, well, not strictly, but mainly a portrait painter? Yeah, I mean, yeah. she did other things too. She did that the turkey painting that. Remember that one I posted on Instagram for Thanksgiving? <laughs> um, it's like a, it's a raw turkey in a sink yeah. next to Ajax and stuff. It's pretty awesome. Um, so she painted some other things, but I think she primarily painted portraits and nudes because she was interested in humanity, right? She mm-hmm. once said that if, if I was a psychologist, I'd be wealthy. And it's true, right? She was doing that kind of work. It just happened to be in the form of a painting. Mm-hmm. Um. So she's doing all this work her whole life, and it wasn't until 1974 that she had a real big solo show um, at the Whitney Museum of American Art, um, her retrospective called Alice Neal, curated by um, Elk Solomon. Um, so 
So yeah, so she went her whole life kind of, you know, making a living doing art, but not really showing a lot. Um, um, and then I, I uh, <laughs> oh, I do have more notes. Okay, cool. Um, I also wanted to point out, so right after that, about a year later, mm -hmm. um, in 1975, Mary Beebe organized a show of Alice Neal's work called Portraits by Alice Neal at the Portland Center for the Visual Arts. Um, so that was that was really uh, an amazing space, by the way. Uh, have you heard of PCVA? Is it still around? No. Mm -hmm. um, it was founded in 1971 by artists Jay Backstrand, Mel Katz, and uh, Michelle Rousseau. It brought seminal com uh, contemporary art uh, to downtown Portland. It's old, it was an old town at 117 Northwest 5th Avenue. Which Portland back then is not what it is today. No. For, like, art and, like... There was funding back then. Yeah. yeah <laughs> well, it's, it's weird I to know. think about. Like, it's just like art. I don't know. Portland, like, it, like a neighborhood gets taken over and changes so much so fast that, like, back then, it was the art scene was totally different, I'm sure. Yeah. So so this place was open from 1972 to 1987, and it was really um, amazing. I mean, some so of our the, mom was going to school up here. She probably, around. we should ask her about if she went there. Because yeah. they showed some pretty awesome names. I mean... Um, Alan Capro, John Baldessari, Vito Acconci, William Wegman, um, Alice Neal. Like, mm -hmm. it's pretty exciting, some of the stuff that they showed and just this this sweet little venue, you know. It wasn't, you know, the art museum was around doing their shows too, but it was kind of an independent thing run by artists. It's pretty exciting, yeah, right? It's really fun. Um, I think it's, it's easy to forget that there is a history here, right? Like mm -hmm. there has been cool things happening in Portland for a long time. Um, it's not just like Portlandia. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, so anyway, so she did a show, Mary B. Mary B. B. organized a show for Alice Neal in 1975 at PCVA. Um, and uh, this would be her first solo show on the West Coast. That's nice. pretty, that's kind of cool, right? Yeah. Um, a few months later, she showed in Stockton and San Francisco and then about 10 years later, she showed in L.A. Um, so, go Portland. Yeah. Um, uh, and this is a portrait of Mary Beebe. Nice. Kind of cool, right? Yeah. Um, so, 1979, uh, she wins this big award. Uh, Jimmy Carter presented her and George O'Keefe and Louise Lambelson um, with this Women's Caucus for Art Award. Uh, 1984, she does the Johnny Carson show twice, and then, um, and then in later in 1984, she passes away of cancer. Um, so, so she had like a full life, and she was very active, but she didn't get a lot of notoriety until later in life. Um, and oh, and and by the way, her sons that she kind of she raised right and um, went on to become a doctor and a lawyer. Oh yeah. Um, uh, so kind of different. And I think at one point she said, I wish one of them was a ballet dancer, but it didn't work out. <laughs> um, anyway, so uh, some quotes. Uh, so some quotes from Alice Neal. She said, whether I'm painting or not, I have this overwhelming interest in humanity. Um, and to describe her paintings a little bit more, if you've never seen her work, um, they're in expressionistic. Um, so brightly colored use a lot of line, um, very psychological, very emotional. Um, 
she's more interested in the character of someone than getting the proportions perfect, right? Um, uh, she was called one of the greatest portrait artists of 21st century, or 20th century. Um, and then a quote uh, in the Oregonian from 2011, there was a few paintings of her shown um, there. I thought it was kind of nice. We'll, we'll just end on this, but... Um, she sought to unravel some essential aspects of her sitters, writing their gestures and expressions with the psychological depth she gleaned from observing them for hours at a time. Today in an era when detached conceptualism and winking art historical reference approximate gut, um, Alice's uh, or Neil's wide-eyed confrontation with emotional complexity is like a blood transfusion. In the art world, both artists and audience need reminding from time to time to time <clears throat> that they are human and that art should reflect some aspect of that experience. The end. Nice. A plus. <laughs> um, Very well done. Yeah. I oh. mean, do you have any questions about her? Because I wrote a lot of stuff down, but. No, I, I didn't know of her until you talked about her. And now I'm like, I want to go learn more. Yeah. But I like that you tied her into Portland, and I was, like, trying to find stuff about Portland and Herring just mm -hmm. while you were talking. It's like, I guess there was a piece of his on display at the Portland Art Museum, like, 2017, so. Oh, that's cool. That's what I read really quickly, but that's a good tie-in to Portland. Then. Mm -hmm. I think the takeaway from both artists is that they were unapologetically themselves, and I really like that about mm -hmm. um, a person and also art. Because mm -hmm. it's like it shows in their art, it it speaks to the person, like it speaks to people that they're that they're themselves and they're not trying to be anything but that. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. They're not hiding behind anything. Yeah. With all their phallic art. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and they keep at it, right? I mean, they're tenacious. Yeah, like they never quit. It didn't sound like she ever quit. It didn't sound like. He, you know, he ever quit. They were always producing. Mm -hmm. You know the world is telling them, like, don't do this or go get a real job or mm -hmm. not a real job. I shouldn't say that. Go get a nine-to-five job. But that's what job. society says. Yeah. You know, yeah. like, oh, you're, you're a painter? Is that, like, your hobby or what? what, what you know, but yeah. it's like, no, this is my passion. This is what I want to do every day. And this is how I want to live my life. And I think both of these artists did that. Mm -hmm. and proved kind of society wrong like yeah yeah this is important I know it's important I'm going to stick with it um, I have another quote actually by her nice. talks to this she said if you're sufficiently tenacious and interested you could accomplish what you want to accomplish in this world nice. oh we love you Alice Aww. Aww. <laughs> <laughs> well yeah yeah that was good and connecting with others through art. I think they both used art to connect, right? It's like for the people. Right. I mean, when she's sitting down and doing these paintings of, of people, she's like talking to them constantly mm -hmm. and getting their life story. And she wants to know about them, right? Mm -hmm. And the painting is just part of that. 
Mm -hmm. right? The process is just as important as the final painting. And it seems that way with Keith too, right? Like he was interested in reaching youth, the youth through his work yeah. and talking it was about more bigger like things. Socio, like what was going on in that time period. Like he really directed his art towards like activism or like, you know, getting the word out about things that maybe make people uncomfortable, but he wanted to like put it out there, reach the youth, you know, reach... Mm -hmm you know yeah. just anyone who might be interested in art he wanted to send a message about the sign of the times what was going on during that time and she was more nitty-gritty to the wanting to know the individual that she was painting it sounds like yeah so yeah both both really unique messages i guess mm -hmm. um, yeah yeah awesome <laughs> Do you have an artist next week? Um, no, sorry, I was just thinking. <laughs> yeah, no, I totally like oh switched it. Like what? No, okay. uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, I don't. Actually, I kind of have one in mind, but yeah. we should we should make it a surprise. Yeah, I. That was good. I liked hearing about her. Yeah, I liked hearing about him. Uh, art for the people. Yeah, I think that's the kind of the. It's probably is it one of your favorite artists? You think Alice? Yeah. Yeah, I mean. I love her art. I love her tenacity. I love um, her story. I love the ups and downs of her story. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of pain in her life, yeah. and I think she did a good job of translating it. But um, it is something positive, um, a legacy, a positive legacy. Um, but I don't know. I have other artists I like. What about you? Do you know who you're going to talk about next week? I have an idea. It's funny because, like, I have a feeling like you're going to go towards more like painters and I kind of am like more towards like installation and like uh -huh. that kind of stuff. But, you know, there's so many different types of art that it's, you know, could go any direction. I have an idea of who I want to talk about next week, but yeah, I mean, there's so many different directions we could go. <laughs> we could edit all this out. I know. This part where we're just thinking out loud. I know, just um, thinking out loud. But okay, so let's get back on track here. Yeah. Um, okay, so we talked about our artists, our amazing, awesome artists. And then we just, uh, yeah. Do you want to end with some action items? Here. So I was thinking, okay, so if you want to know more about Alice Neal, go to alicenial.com. Uh, if you want to know more about the WPA murals, go to WPAMurals.com. It's kind of cool. You could type in um, yeah. your your state and find out all the WPA murals in your state. Yeah, I mean, go to Powell's. Get a book on these two artists. Um, I, I would imagine one of the galleries here in Portland would maybe have one of their things, either of these artists' things. Oh, yeah. Totally. If not merch of their things. I don't know. So... That's a fun way to learn more about them. Um, uh, you wrote in your notes to paint a friend nude. <laughs> <laughs> so your homework is to paint a friend nude. You know, just paint a friend nude. Just, you know. And your other homework is to doodle someone dancing in your notebook. Doodle. Just figure it out, man. Yeah. So a la, doodle it up. A la Alice Neal and Keith Haring. Get your Sunday newspaper. Check out the comics. <laughs> Get inspired. There you go cut paper just do something try something out new 
Try yeah. something out. Yeah. All right. And feel free to email us if you have any ideas or questions or concerns. Yes. We don't quite have an email, do we yet? We will. <laughs> That's how we put this up. All this is coming out as we speak. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Yes. Thanks for listening. Take care. Bye.